You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and this is my conversation with a fellow called Mark Burgess, who is the frontman and bass player for a band called The Chameleons. The purpose of the conversation was to promote the band's then-upcoming tour of Australia, which occurred through January of 2018. Let's see what Mark has to say. Here we go. Australian fans, mate. Did you receive a lot of mail through the 80s and 90s and then eventually emails and social media contact from Australian fans over the years? Uh, I've had some, but not, I mean, not, you know, not a great amount, I don't, I don't recall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had some people like me from Australia. Uh, but I just, I, I, was, I never ever thought, quite honest, that we'd get to play there, though. I didn't think that um, we'd actually ever get to play there. I think we we did get approached a few years back, but the logistical costs of it were just to beyond you know were beyond beyond us. So <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> so I am surprised. I am surprised that we uh, that we're going to be playing there. Yeah, fair enough, mate. And look, for, for most fans, the seminal work from the band occurred prior, prior to 1990, or, or did it, actually, because this is a key point. What's your take on the band's canon of work, given there's effectively two periods to the band's career? So there's the first phase, which is 81 to 90, and then from the year 2000 to now. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, the the that was the best, the, the, the most, the, the most prolific time, if it could ever be called prolific, because we're a bunch of lazy bastards most of the time. But the the prolific, I mean, us, you know, that first that first period um, was when you know that was when the band's reputation was forged and when the, the music that really kind of stays with people was made. Um, I mean, when we got back together, you know, we didn't really have the same <laughs> opportunity to kind of like you know, develop the way that, you know, we've, we didn't play, we didn't, you know, we hadn't played together for 10 years. We had to learn how to do that again because we've been, you know, even though we could get together and play the old stuff like we'd only been away for a few weeks when it came to kind of writing new material, we were all into very different things. So we had to kind of like find our way with that. And we thought, we'd, I thought we'd be given more time to do that than we were. So that was a bit unfortunate. But, um, Live, I mean, I, to me, it's always been about performing live anyway, more than, you know, I, I enjoy the studio process and I enjoy all of that, but I always liked it better when we were playing the stuff live and stuff. So, I mean, my take on it with when the band came back together was that the band was a lot better than it had ever been. I mean, we were playing that stuff better than we've ever been, it's ever been played. Uh, and that was gratifying to me. That was gratifying to me. Yeah. So it was like, you know, pros and cons. You know, on the one hand, we weren't as strong a recording uh, force as we were, but on the other hand, we were way, way better live band. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, you've got to let those road, those years in the road and, and performing live behind you, but I guess it lends itself to the question, what's the essential The Chameleons album in your view? Is there an album that stands out above all others? Uh... You know, well, I think it, tragically, the best one, the, 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 the you know, the masterpiece, if you want, never got made. I think that was we were gonna. I think that would have been the 
the one after Strange Times, one that we were working on when we broke up, um, would have been potentially, I think, would have been like, you know, the best album we'd ever done. But we never got to, we never got to complete it. We never got to finish the writing and it all turned up on different things. You know, some of it turned up in, some of that album turned up in, you know, stuff that I was doing after that and, 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 and the same for Dave and Reg when they went on with the rigs a lot of it. A lot of those ideas turned up on the Reeves record. So they were all, you know, became disseminated. You know, what the, the ideas that would have made up that album became disseminated through different projects afterwards, which was a bit of a shame. Um, I wouldn't, so I couldn't say, I couldn't really say what the definitive Cornelius album is. And then if you speak to a lot of the people who uh, really are passionate about this band and about the music, you know, they can't agree on it either. You know, a lot of them will say the first one, a lot of them will say the second one, and a lot of them will say the third one. You know, it it really, it's really dependent upon the listener. Yeah. Yeah, when you got into it as well, I think. But that's always the case with the best bands, is that there's never any one album that actually defines them. They're not one album wonders, if you if you understand what I'm saying. You're a band that does have a canon of work. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. And, I agree, yeah. I mean, if I take my favourite bands, you know, like the ones I'm really passionate about, I'd be hard pressed to say which album I like above the other. Yeah. Hmm. So, a lot of musicians and bands do cite you as not just an influence, but an endure an influence on their album, but an enduring influence for pop and rock culture in general. And and bands that I can name check are Oasis, The Verve, Interpol, The Strokes, and there's many others. Um, now they've either name checked you as Liam, I think it was Liam or Noel did, I think at the um, British um, Music Awards one year, um, or you can hear your sound, the band sound in the band's music. I feel as though the Chameleons were ahead of its time. But what's your take on the band's enduring influence? I'm just, I, I, well, you know, I'm, I'm really flattered to um, to hear it. You know, you know, to to. Um, well, especially a band that I really like, you know, it's a band that I'm really into, and so I say, yeah, we really love the community. So, I mean, it makes me feel good, yeah. I feel good, but it's just ego, really. Because <laughs> 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 I can't actually, I can't actually, uh, you know, it's very rare that I can actually hear what people are talking about. You know, people tell me, oh, the Interpol are really, I mean, I listened to, I heard the first Interpol album, and I thought it had more to do with Joy Vision than us. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't always hear it, what they're talking about. But, um, but I'm really, really pleased, especially when it's a band that I, you know that I really like, you know. You know yeah. Especially a band that I really love, you know. I can, um, it, yeah, it makes me proud. I'm very proud. <laughs> yeah. No. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you earned it. You deserve it. And um, look, another point is that I've always regarded the Chameleons and early Killing Joke as essential British post-punk. Did you ever have a friendship <laughs> with Jazz Coleman back in the day? And if so, what were the interactions like between yourself and Jazz and the two? Yeah, bands? we nearly had a fight with him once. Yeah, we nearly we nearly had a fight with him once. Uh-huh. We, we were supposed to be opening. We were supposed to be opening for them, and they were dicking us around. And we'd had too much. Uh, me and David had too much speed, so we took our guitars off and chased them down the fucking corridor and uh, uh-huh. into the dressing room, like kicking on the door, and then. Uh, Roadies fucking jumped in our backs, and then the manager came over, and it was all mayhem. Um, and then we, we, you know, we were supposed to play a few days with them, and we just don't, don't fuck themselves. And we never had anything to do with them after that. But I liked them. I, I liked the band. I, I, I liked the joke uh, early doors. 
uh, when Youth was in the band and yes. when uh, you know, that first album's colossal. I mean, it's a colossal record. Um, and the first, those first few singles were amazing, you know. Hmm. And uh, I actually went to see them then. Well, I went to see them back in the day um, on that tour, on that first album. Cool. What were they like? So, As a live band? Fucking great. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just amazing. Right? Just a colossal band. Sounded brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And it was on the back of a great record. But then, you know, as time went on, I kind of went off them a little bit. But, I, I, you know, they were originally, um, I thought they were a really great band. You know. I was excited to play with them until, you know, until it happened. And then, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of went a bit pear shaped. But, um, yeah. No, that's fair enough. No, it's a great that's story my to share. Only, that's, that's, my, that's, my only, that's my only encounter with them, you know. Hmm. Was that we nearly fucking. Twatted him with our bet with I nearly <laughs> fucking put my bass over his head. That's the only time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, mate. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. Actually, look, I'd I'd love to interview Jazz one day because he does live uh, regionally near me in Uwe in, in New Zealand. Um, and I remember the band. I don't know whether you've heard of the band she had. They're a wonderful New Zealand band. And um, I think Jazz produced or had something to do with mentoring on their first album or so. And they ended up writing a song about him, and uh, it wasn't too complimentary. So I don't think you're the only band he's rubbed the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, it's great, isn't it? It's great. So you need characters like that. You do, you do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I love the band's music, so I sort of focus on that part of it. But he's a fascinating yeah. individual. There's no doubt about that. You know, he's, he'd make a wonderful interview yeah. subject. I think. <laughs> yeah. But something, um, I've got to pay you probably one of the highest compliments that I'm, I'm ever going to give anybody, actually, which is that your lyrics, they're profound. Uh, the lyrics to Monkeyland, for example, are probably the most meaningful lyrics that I've ever heard in any song. So I don't know where to start with this question except to ask you, where do you draw inspiration for your lyrics? My inspiration just came from, uh, my, you know, what, what you know, walking through life and just like looking around me and, and thinking about things, thinking about everything, you know, it's just all, it's, you know, this is where my head was at. This is what was going on in my head. So, I mean, I just, you know, when it fell on me to, to write the lyrics, um, and the, you know, the tunes for the, for the, for the band, um, that was the only thing that I could draw on. You know, the only thing that I could draw on was, was, my life experience, you know, my experience, my life experience, what was going on around me, and all these questions that I asked myself, and what you know. Uh, so I, I, it's a very difficult question for me to answer because it's like you know, it wasn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't. You know, um, it wasn't like there's no there's no like book you can get like you know the A to Z of lyric writing. It's just you, you just you just. I, Natural, it just comes natural to me. So the natural to me is, you know, you don't say, "Well, how do you ride a bike?" You know, hmm. how do you ride a bike? Uh, you know, you just get on it and do it, don't you? You know, how do you try to describe how you ride ride a bike. It's, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. when people ask me that, you know, it's like, how do you write? How do you write your lyrics? I just do it. You know, half the time I don't even write it. Half the time I just do it on the mic. Jesus, I mean, there's yeah. been times when yeah. uh, on Chameleon's tracks when. Um, I've only had like, you know, a very, very, you know, two or three lines of a lyric and I've actually been standing there recording it um, and I've had to do the rest of it on the fly. 
Yeah, well, uh, the, look, yeah. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't surprise me, but it makes the the lyrical content even more profound because you must be connected to some other muse somewhere else. So I'm going to give you an example, like the line in Monkey Line or the lyrics in Monkey Line that I think are very meaningful are, "Is my creator God or a man? Does someone somewhere care and understand?" It's just a tri- is it just a trick of light? I have to know what is real and what is illusion. I mean, you're asking the most profound question that humanity can effectively ask. Right. You know, and and then you've yeah. got then you've got singing rule Britannia, where it's a bit different. But what, you know, you wrote this song at a time when Thatcher was in power, and there's a lot of social division in in the UK. Yeah. You know, working class Correct. heroes mean yeah. nothing to me. I'm a working class zero chained to the tree of life. These lyrics summarise what yeah. a generation is thinking and feeling. Just three three sentences. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah, it was a reflection of what life was like in Britain at that time, yeah, for sure. But yeah. it's still true. Yeah. Still, it's still as as relevant now as it was then. Yeah, actually. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the thing that interests me. The thing that interests me is that, you know, is that... Um, if anything, a lot of those themes resonate more now, 30 years later, than they did when they actually did them. Well, it's just quite interesting to me. But, yeah, they were, they're basically just trying from my direct experience of what's going on around me. This is, I like that's the only answer I can give you. Well, what about this one here, then? From I do like the song here today, and the, the lyric in here that I like is, My chest is burning, I think someone set my soul alight, don't know what happened, but I don't think I got home tonight. Is that is that referencing anything in particular? Yeah, yeah, it was a murder of John Lennon. Okay, right, gotcha. Yeah, I, I had a feeling it was there was something it's a bit more going on. Yeah. It, it, the, the here today was a, was directly about the assassination of John Lennon in New York, and I'm trying to imagine how it must have like, felt to be kind of like right out of the blue in front of your wife, murdered like that. You know, shot like that without really knowing what's going to happen. I mean, you never even saw it coming or anything. You know, it wasn't like just you know, like you know, only only a few hours earlier he was talking about uh, you know how how wonderful it was to be alive and to have resolved all these issues and mm. now for the first time in his life he's looking forward to the future and you know 24 hours later he's dead and that struck me as kind of ironic and it struck me as ironic that. Um, you know, that it just came completely out of the blue, out of the, you know, suddenly you don't, before you even know what's happening to you, you know, you don't even know what's happening to you, you know. Yeah. And yet you're, yeah, he was cohesive, he was cohesive enough to know who he was, because when the police officer asked him, do you know who you are? You know, he said, yeah, I'm John Lennon. So he was cohesive enough to know who he was. Yeah. But, um, you know, what was actually happening to him and the speed at which it was actually happening to him, it, that interested me, you know. Well, I think you've captured the human aspect of I mean, but, I mean, it could be applied to anybody. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not solely about John Lennon, but it was the murder of John Lennon that inspired the piece, yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Is that common knowledge that that song's about John Lennon? I've made no secret of it. I've asked a few times about it. Um, the guys knew, because I, that was, I think that was probably, I think that was, in fact, it was the very first piece I ever turned in for the group because um, it was being put out on a... It was being recorded for a, a compilation of you know, Secret Safe With Us um, or Static Records in London, which is before before we were signed or anything. 
So that was one of the first ones I had to finish. So it was one of the first ones I ever did. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. And so a bit of a different question for you, mate. I, I haven't seen any copy on the internet where you've been asked about your exceptional bass playing. So I'm a musician and I, I am a bass player first and foremost. And again, I've never felt that you got the due that you deserve for the rhythmic, the rhythmic template that you set for the band through the albums and in the live setting in particular. So is the bass guitar an instrument that you are compelled to play? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I started, I started, a lot of players, you know, they, they seem to start on guitar, don't they, and then they go to bass. I, I started on the bass because I thought it, I reasoned when I was like 17 and 18, it would be the fastest way into a band. I reckon I thought I can master that faster than I can master a guitar. So, I'll, and I wanted to be in a band like as soon as possible. So that's the reason why I started playing bass. And then, um, I expect I was only the singer in my own band because I couldn't find one. I couldn't find a singer uh, that fitted, you know, that could do it. So I did it temporarily, you know, as I did because I couldn't find anyone else. And when I joined Dave and Reg, I expected it to be just the bass player, but then they told me, no, we want you to do the singing as well. So mm. I became this like singer bass player. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of like I've not, you know, I've not really been able to focus on being a bass player as much as I would like to because I've always had to be, be the singer. Yeah. You know, and there was a period where I stopped playing bass altogether. It was like a period of like three years where I just, I just did vocals and I stopped playing bass because I, you know, I was, I was, I was in a bit of a rut with it. Hmm. But I, I, I mean, I always enjoy playing. I always enjoy dub bass and playing dub, you know, playing in the kind of a more dub style. That's the way I always kind of like saw myself. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was quite nice actually when I was playing one one year and uh, we had a, a Rasta guy with us for a while and uh, he knew. The, I think it was. I think he, I'm not sure which band it was that the guy was with. It might have been Aswad or someone like that. And uh, he turned up to a show anyway. And he was really complimenting on the bass playing. I was like. Say to him, I always wanted to play dub, and he goes, "Dude, you do, you do play dub. That's exactly what you do. You're a dub player, and that makes me feel really good." So, uh, but I don't profess to be a great bass player or anything. I mean, I'm not really. Well, um, you I keep right on top of it. Right? Game. Yeah, I think you're a very good example. Yeah, I mean, of, you know, of bass playing and singing. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I mean, you know, I listen to I listen to I listen to real bass virtuoso and kind of go, I think, you know, wow, you know, I wish I could play like that. Yeah, likewise. But, uh, <laughs> these days, well, I'm getting getting arthritis now. These days, so I'm even you know it's even harder than it, than ever. I have my fingers are stiffening up a bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, but I do enjoy playing bass. Yeah, I really, I really do enjoy it. Yeah. And you you still playing the P yeah. bass that's that was used in the videos back in the day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Is that is that yeah. is that the preferred instrument? That one there, or is that just the one you end up ended up with, so to speak? No, that's the best bass I've ever played. Yeah. Yeah. The old school. That's the best one I've ever played. Do you know Do you know what year it is? Yeah. It's a 1982 Japanese uh, Squire. Actually, it's not Fender. Shit. Okay. Uh, but it, the um, it's a. Uh, it was been made exactly like a, you know, a, a, a nineteen, you know, nineteen sixties precision. It's like the same wood, the same age, and the wood, the same everything. The Japanese just copied everything meticulously, hmm. and it, they, they, there was a series of guitars that they did that, and they called the JV 
series, Japanese vintage series. And that one that I play is an 82. And it's, it's, it's better than any bass I've ever played. And I've played, I've played, you know, good fenders as well. And it's better. This is better. Yeah, gotcha. The best, the best instrument I've ever, yeah, yeah. It's priceless. Cool. All right, mate. Look, I'd better let you yes. go. But look, I'm going, I'm I'm likely going to be in the audience at the Woolly Mammoth. Um, I'd love to catch up for a beer and just shake your hand and um, enjoy the gigs. So, sure, uh, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, so Please um, do that. yeah, yeah, come say yeah. Yeah, no worries, mate. So yeah, no, looking forward to seeing you guys when yeah, you come man. down to Australia. And thanks very much for the chat. Thank you, man. Thank you very much for calling. And uh, yeah, I look forward to meeting you, man. No worries, sure. mate. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and you are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. That was my conversation with Mark Burgess, the frontman and bass player for an outfit called The Chameleons. Thanks so much for listening.